You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Noel Herhusky-Schneider. And I'm Cade Young. This is the WFHB Local News for Thursday, May 26th, 2022. Later in the program, WFHB correspondent Abby Prywich reports on Compost Up Downtown, a new composting program meant to curb food waste in restaurants and food service businesses. More in the top half of our program. Also coming up in the next half hour, we have a segment from Bring It On's Liz Mitchell titled Dark Past, Bright Future. But first, your daily headlines. On May 17th, at the Monroe County Plan Commission meeting, Director of Planning Jackie Nestor Jellin presented a rezone request for a property in Benton South Township on Kings Road. Jellin said that the area is currently zoned as state residential, and the petitioners are asking for it to be rezoned to Agriculture Rural Reserve. Jellin explained the petitioner's case and gave the commission information on the current zoning requirements. So just a little bit of background. So this is a zoning map amendment to rezone from a state residential 2.5 to agriculture rural reserve, which also requires a two and a half acre minimum. The purpose, as the petitioner has written in a letter, is to provide the zoning to convert the existing single family residential unit on the property to be utilized as a tourist home or cabin, which is a short-term rental. And just a reminder, a short-term rental is for a period less than 30 days. Properties in the county that can be rented for longer than that do not have to seek out a tourist home or cabin uh, use. So um, the definition for tourist home or cabin, something that we wanted to bring up since there has been a lot of interest from neighbors uh, regarding this petition. So it is a building or portion thereof in which four or fewer guest rooms are furnished to the public for short-term lodging agreement. And it's subject to special condition number 48. But as the plan commission knows and the county commissioners, ultimately, this is a rezone to agriculture rural reserve. So we should consider this for all the uses that are under the Ag RR zoning district, not just the intended purpose of the rezone, which is a tourist home. So there's an existing structure, single family on the site, 2,609 square feet, about a 1,344 square foot barn, a 646 square foot storage structure utility shed, um, about a 460 square foot utility shed and 280 square foot utility shed. Jellin said that the property owned by Life is Better on the Farm LLC is in a minor subdivision. She said that there were letters of support for the rezone. However, there was a letter of remonstrance from surrounding neighbors that do not want the commission to approve the rezone. Um, So there were several letters of support. I believe these were added after the packet had gone out. Um, I believe there are six in total of uh, different people that reached out in support of this petition. And um, 
I believe notably that uh, some of the support letters, um, just when we're looking at remonstrance or support, that the addresses of the people that are offering the support may be further away. And the uh, letters of remonstrance are of people that seem to be a little bit closer in proximity, but the petitioner could also discuss that since some of these are from business email addresses. Um, so here are some more support letters as well. As I mentioned, there are six in total and apologies if these didn't make it in the packet. These were sent a little bit later after the packet had already gone out. And then uh, there is a remonstrance letter in the packet and um, it's primarily one letter uh, that's describing just the, the nature of their opposition and then a few photos. And then it is signed by several neighbors in the area um, off of Kings Road, Nathan Way, Mahala Way, and uh, I believe Ariel Way. So those are in proximity to Kings Road. Commission member Jeff McKim asked if the petitioner is planning on turning the barn into a residential unit. Jillen said that she did not believe they intended to at the time. Petitioner Jason Forhees spoke explaining why they would like to have the designation of Agricultural Rural Reserve and addressed the neighbors' concerns about potential parties. Uh, the, other, the, others, uh, the other zones that allow tourist homes seem that the Agro-R was the most appropriate for this property since it's 20-acre plat with surrounded by hayfields and uh, has barns and uh, a couple barns and a couple sheds and felt that that would be the most appropriate zoning to get to our goal of using the property as a short-term rental. Um, uh, we do not plan on living on, on that plat. We were planning on managing it as a short-term rental. We do have external, um, there have been some concerns of the of my neighbors about whether they're they were gonna we we're going to rent this out to fraternities and sororities to have parties and we definitely are not going to do that we we actually are trying to market this and rent it to families coming down for either short trips to monroe county or parents coming to visit their children in college perhaps uh we currently we are marketing it as a long-term rental 30-day stay or longer on airbnb and our marketing clearly states no, no parties are allowed. Um, we can monitor this because we have external cameras, uh, ring doorbells and external cameras monitoring the, the parking lot, the par our, our, our driveway. And we feel that that that's, gives us some sense of knowledge on what's going on on the property. So if we do have somebody who decides to break the rules and throw a big party that we can take steps immediately to remedy that. Um, I've been told by my legal counsel that with short-term renters, if they, if they do break those rules, that we have the ability to, to have them evicted and meet, they don't have long-term rental rights. Um, so we want to, we want to protect the neighborhood, protect the property and, protect the preserve the peaceful tranquil nature of the uh, neighborhood. McKim asked whether there are any protections for the nearby residents if the property is sold in order to prevent any future owners from renting it to individuals who would use the property for parties. 
the Historic Board of Preservation approved the rezone with the condition that within two years, the barn and other structures on the property be made into a historic preservation designation. During public comment, many concerned residents spoke against the petitioner's request. Commission President Margaret Clements said that since so many of the neighbors who would be affected have spoken in opposition, she will vote against the rezone request. Um, it matters to me that the neighbors have come out, that there's uh, such a strong concern by the community that surrounds this property uh, who, are, uh, who would like to preserve their way of life and the lifestyle that they invested in with their uh, life savings. And it matters to me that you have spoken in opposition to this uh, petition. And it also matters to me, um, some of the um, permitted uses in the ag RR that um, could take place downstream if this zoning change takes place. And so um, I, I myself find myself convinced by the neighbors and their concerns. The commission will have a second hearing for the petition at their next meeting on June 21st. Up next, WFHB correspondent Abby Prywich reports on Compost Up Downtown, a new composting program meant to curb food waste in restaurants and food service businesses. We turn now to that report. Restaurants are one of the largest sources of food waste, which led the city of Bloomington to partner with a local composting company to create a new composting program, according to Andrea Conway, CEO and owner of Earthkeepers, a Bloomington compost corporation. According to Conway, by helping restaurants lower food waste, it will help reduce the amount of waste that is being sent to the landfill. Conway added that food waste generates methane when it is sent to the landfill, and methane has a climate warming potential larger than CO2. Methane affects everyone, so everyone benefits from mitigating methane generation, according to Conway. The new composting program, Compost Up Downtown, provides free trials of composting services for eligible restaurants and food service businesses located in the Bloomington Entertainment and Arts District. Conway explains the program as an economic development initiative that is trying to support restaurants by covering the initial cost of starting a composting system. The City of Bloomington's Department of Economic and Sustainable Development is partnering with Earthkeepers for this program. According to Conway, Earthkeepers has been providing composting services for the city since 2018. Lauren Clemens, Assistant Director of Sustainability for the City of Bloomington, explained that Earthkeepers is a Bloomington-based benefit corporation that provides composting drop-off and collection services by subscription to the Bloomington and Monroe County community. Conway said, since Earthkeepers is incorporated as a benefit corporation, it allows them to prioritize the well-being of their community over making a profit. In addition, Earthkeepers is both women-owned and minority-owned. According to Conway, the women and minority-owned certification is a way to signal that they are inclusive and diverse, and the benefit corporation structure shows that they care about their community. According to the City of Bloomington's website, to participate in this program, eligible participants must complete the application and submit it by the deadlines listed on their website. Once a business is approved to participate, 
Earthkeepers then performs a waste audit at their site. Those participating in the program will be provided with sorting posters, bin labels, and more educational materials on composting. Clements explained that through this program, participating food service businesses receive a waste audit, assistance in setting up the compost collections, and three free months of compost collection. The program incentive is valued at $5,000 per restaurant and is funded through appropriation as part of the Recover Forward initiative. Through 2023, this program will offer a three-month composting trial period for 16 places total. The first cohort of this program started in April and includes Nick's English Hunt, Osteria Ragu, the Bloomington Convention Center, and Southern Stone. Conway added that they were very happy to have those specific Bloomington restaurants in their first cohort because she thinks it will help set the example. She said the program is going very well so far, and the reports that they have received from kitchen staff confirm their predictions that composting is not difficult and it can improve a kitchen's efficiency. The owner of Nick's English Hut and Osteria Ragu, Greg Ragu, said they had been considering compost for a while, so when they heard about this program, they knew it was something they were interested in. Ragu said they tried it years ago, but because of logistics for restaurants, it made it very difficult. When the city came through with this program, they decided to go for it. The biggest concern Ragu had going into this trial was the dependability of the people collecting the compost and sanitary issues. He was worried because if you don't have somebody pick up the compost, then a lot of compost is sitting around, which can attract insects, bugs, and rats. Since their trial began, they had no issues, and Ragu was very complimentary of Earthkeeper's system for composting. He explained that it comes in a very sealed and sanitary container where they put their compost before they pick it up. Conway's advice for restaurants and businesses considering composting is to give it a try. She acknowledged that a lot of food service businesses are hurting right now, which makes them skeptical about adding something that could cause more complications, but she believes this program offers a great opportunity for restaurants to save money and do the correct thing. For WFHB, this is Abby Prywich. In today's feature report, we present an excerpt from Bring It On, a weekly radio program committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. This comes from the May 2nd episode titled, Reparations for Bloomington African-Americans. Bring It On airs at 6 p.m. each Monday on WFHB Community Radio. To listen to the full program, visit wfhb.org or listen wherever you find your podcasts. Bloomington Black Strategic Alliance and Monroe County Black Democratic Caucus held the fifth annual event over the Zoom technology. And members of the caucus's reparations committee spent the fall of 2021 researching the county's history of racial injustices and presented some of their findings during the event. IU professor Valerie Grimm, director of undergraduate studies for the Indiana University Department of African-American and African Diaspora Studies, shared that while the research was in its preliminary stages, 
the February discussion was intended to initiate a dialogue concerning whether there are experiences and encounters in Bloomington and Monroe County that meet a reparation standard. And according to committee member Ashley Pirani, just 1% of Bloomington's black population owns a home. She said areas of Bloomington that have racially restrictive covenants have average home values well over the city average. While neighborhoods with historically higher populations of black residents have houses that usually sell below city average. As for what reparations would look like, the committee hadn't gotten that far yet. To offer some insights into that February discussion and presentation of findings, we have invited one of the members of the reparations committee. Her name is Ashley Pirani, and she is not only a member of the Monroe County Black Democratic Caucus, but again, she is a member of that subcommittee on reparations. Ashley, we're so glad to have you. Welcome, thank Ashley. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for uh, your hard, heavy lifting back in 2021. Um, I read an article that we gathered some of our introduction information from, and there on that front page of that article was a, a picture of the old black market that students at Indiana University had started back in the 60s, but which was bombed by the Ku Klux Klan in 1968. It's also the site where the current People's Park resides. And uh, not so much to get into a history of that because that can be the springboard for so many other discussions, but I did want to draw attention to that because when you talk about things such as reparations, to me, uh, Ashley, that conjures up mm -hmm. such things as restoration or uh, as President Johnson kind of you know, uh, alluded to, making the playing plain field level. And as I mentioned in, in the intro, we did air uh, last week a conversation that we had with Illinois Alderwoman, uh, Robin Rue Simmons, who was helpful and, and successful in getting Evanston, Illinois, to pass some reparations legislation. Can you first uh, introduce yourself to our listeners uh, and that you're no stranger to uh, county, I mean, well, to, to public, uh, to the public, and just explain to us some of the things you've done in the county, and we'll go ahead and start this conversation. Yeah, so my name is Ashley Perani, and um, I've been in Bloomington since uh, 2007. Um, I, I came here to marry a Purdue grad, and I hope people don't hold that against me too much. Wait a minute, but... wait, we, just, we just lost some <laughs> listeners. Wait <a> <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and we have uh, two kids who are fabulous and um, both in elementary school right now. Uh, I'm also currently a board member for Beacon Inc. and the development uh, committee chair for that organization as well. And uh, as you mentioned, a member of the Monroe County Black Democratic Caucus. And uh, my day job is insurance. I work for Shine Insurance, which is a local and independent agency here in town. And um, you didn't waste any time in getting involved. Some people take a few decades before they dip their toes in the water, but you came and got busy right away. Uh, I will stay because it is public knowledge that you also ran for county council district number three. Um, so you found, found the time to kind of get involved in some of the local politics here. But um, 
I have a few questions starting off, and I know Liz has some questions as well. When we conjure, when we talked about reparations, for many, it conjures up in their mind something that is uh, not a correct definition of what reparations sort of means, but they think it's taking from me and giving to someone else and this that, and the other. And that's not necessarily so. Can you sort of describe define for us um, with your experiences on that subcommittee, how did you all view reparations? Yeah, so I, I think it's a great question. And there were a few ways that reparations were looked at. I think one was looking at, is it purely a monetary value? Is that uh, where the line stops? Is it making sure that there are more historical markers in town for areas that um, were either maybe homes of prominent Black families in the area, um, places of events, things like that, that don't normally get the same level of attention as maybe other things that uh, white individuals have done in the city and the county. Um, and then the, th the third was kind of like a conglomeration of all the things. So kind of looking at what that means. And I think um, for me, that's kind of where I land because it depends on what you want to see happen and where uh, what that means. So for some, does that maybe mean it's, you know, a thousand dollar check and we're good to go? Um, I think that that is probably not the case. Um, it would be substantially more. But when we look through the historical pieces of um, some of the things in Monroe County, like racial restrictions is an example, um, you know, African-Americans in the county didn't have access to the same types of housing that white individuals did, and they were actively kept from those. So it, it created just a disparity from the start. So what is, what is that going to look like then for folks moving forward? And, you know, um, you uncover some language uh, that was in, I would say, what homeowners associations or uh, those, 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 those entities that help govern certain neighborhoods or subdivisions, and you found language, old language, and uh, you referred to it as restrictive covenants. Mm -hmm. um, describe for us some of the things you uncovered, and I think that would sort of help our listeners understand that uh, there, some neighborhoods are perhaps enjoying uh, uh, what inflated prices, or or they're enjoying high pro uh, property value rates, while others are not. And there may be a reason for some of that, some of that, not all of that. But can you describe for us uh, what you found? Sure. So some of that was already out there before. So I don't know that I, I necessarily uncovered anything new that wasn't already out there. Mm -hmm. um, but what these restrictions would do um, is, is to plainly state that there were certain groups of people which were not allowed to reside or buy or rent unless they were a domestic service person in certain neighborhoods. And a lot of what I what I noticed through um, taking a look at what the estimated land value is of some of these areas is that they all seem to cir encircle, uh, the university is right in the middle of all of these different neighborhoods. So it's almost like, it was like a wall put up around the university is what I, I felt like I saw um, in that. So, 
And we know that um, some of these restrictions were written into deeds after it was deemed unconstitutional. So uh, after we did our presentation, I actually had an individual reach out who found it in their deed and their home wasn't built until 1950. So that was after um, it was unconstitutional. So it was still happening well after it uh, wasn't supposed to be. Liz? Okay, yeah. I wanted to make sure that our listening audience understands a few facts uh, when we, during our discussion here on reparations, that the wealth extracted from the community, and this is from Black taxes also, didn't help the Black community at all. At one time, they built a brand new school for white students here with the taxes from Black residents. They left the school, which they ended up calling the colored school for black school children. That was a dilapidated building with no electricity and no plumbing. The white school that they built had all the modern conveniences, but yet our tax dollars went to pay for a new school. It took three years to build Banneker and black students had nowhere to go. Every year they went to a different location until Banneker was completed. So we're talking about the wealth extraction from the black communities through environmental racism. It happened during slavery, food apartheid, housing, employment, education, as well as healthcare. Today, uh, white people in America are 10 times, uh, will make 10 times the amount of wealth than a black person. White college students have over seven times more wealth than a black college student and white high school dropouts will be, uh, have the opportunities to make more money and obtain more wealth than a black college graduate. Those are the facts. You can't argue with facts. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Nawahar Husky Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Clarence Boone. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. For WFHB, this is your engineer and executive producer, Cade Young. And I'm Noelle Husky schneider Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters, WFHB, 
wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Big Talk, a one-on-one conversation with some of Bloomington's most fascinating people, coming up next on WFHB. WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 